Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. A historic announcement with global impact, a campaign promise fulfilled, just as the president's son goes behind closed doors and into the hot seat, and Democrats take a stand on sexual harassment and turn on one of their own. This is the State of America Tonight. It is time to officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. The president's very committed to the Middle East peace process. Here in Jerusalem and in Israel, we applaud the president. It means the death knell of any peace process. Donald Trump Jr., the president's son, is testifying under oath before the House Intelligence Committee. Lawmakers are going to press him on that June 2016 meeting. We have seen now a number of Democratic senators almost simultaneously basically saying that Al Franken should resign. I think right now Al Franken is on borrowed time. I would say by the end of the day, I can't imagine he would still be in office. Hello everyone, I'm Kate Baldwin, live in New York. Tour viewers watching around the world, this is State of America tonight. History being made today, left, right, and center, from the White House to Capitol Hill and far beyond. None more historic than President Trump's announcement on Israel. It is time to officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. While previous presidents have made this a major campaign promise, they failed to deliver. Today, I am delivering. Delivering a clear message, yes. Delivering on a campaign promise, yes, as well. We will move the American embassy to the eternal capital of the Jewish people, Jerusalem. But delivering a vision on the peace process now in light of this declaration, not so much. Trump didn't get far beyond this. This decision is not intended in any way to reflect a departure from our strong commitment to facilitate a lasting peace agreement. We want an agreement that is a great deal for the Israelis and a great deal for the Palestinians. And with that, President Trump announced that he has ordered the State Department to start the process of moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Mind you, this is something pretty much every president since um, Israel became a state has promised to do, and not one has followed through until now. He promised it, he's delivering on it, but he didn't deliver on it in day one because he has been consulting with the leaders around the world. And most importantly, he's consulting with his own national security and foreign policy team. The reaction so far, like everything involving the Middle East, it's complicated. The mayor of Jerusalem could not be happier. I want to applaud President Trump for for fulfilling his promise and making that right move. It's the right thing to do. Palestinians, 
feeling very different. It means the, the death knell of the, uh, any peace process and the destruction of the chances of peace in the region. It is in one uh, blow, uh, President Trump has destroyed not only the chances of peace, but the stability and security of the region as a whole. How's it being viewed and received here at home? Mixed as well. Here's the former ambassador to Israel, Martin Indyk. He's playing with fire. And, and the idea that he imagines that he can have it both ways in these circumstances simply misunderstands the, the importance of Jerusalem to Israelis, Palestinians, and Muslims, Christians throughout the world. It's a hot button issue. And, and he, he, the attempt to have it both ways, I, I believe, will fail. But Republicans on Capitol Hill say this is as simple as acknowledging reality. In many ways, my reaction is it's about time. It's, it's obvious. Uh, when you go visit uh, Israel and you're going to sit down with the prime minister, you're going to meet with him in his office in Jerusalem. If you're going to visit with members of the Knesset, you're going to meet with him in their office in the Knesset uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, it is obvious to the entire world if you're going to meet with the Israeli government, it is located in Jerusalem. So it's always been kind of an odd thing. The White House says that the president consulted his foreign policy team before making the move, but the reports are at least two key members of his cabinet, Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense, were opposed to this move and this announcement. Listen to this. I think the secretary has communicated clearly, as have all the members of the interagency who have a role in uh, making this decision or being a part of the decision. He's made his positions clear to the White House. I think the Department of Defense has as well. But it's ultimately the president's decision to make. He is in charge. That is the Secretary of State spokesperson being asked about the move. How is that for an enthusiastic endorsement on a major shift in U.S. policy? Not so much. Let's move on to another moment in history that we are watching unfold in a very different way on Capitol Hill and the avalanche coming at one senator in particular. From Facebook to Twitter to press conferences, Democrats coming out almost all together, almost all at the same time today, calling on a fellow Democratic senator, Al Franken, to resign his seat. I do not feel that he should continue to serve. Everyone will make their own judgment. Uh, I hope they do make their own judgment. It was a very difficult decision, and um, I, I respect Senator Franken for the work that he has done as a senator on issues that are right now a lot of issues that we are fighting. But frankly, the, the numerosity and, and of the, the complaints and allegations against him, I found to have weight and carry weight. You're saying he should resign. And I get no pride or pleasure in saying that. Thank you. This all comes after Franken has faced numerous allegations of groping and forcibly kissing women as far back as 2006. Franken has denied some, apologized for others, but has so far been steadfast that he is staying in the Senate. Let's see how long that lasts now. Of course, this also comes as Republicans are facing their very own and very real problems on this very same front and reacting somewhat in a different, very different way. Republican Senate candidate Roy Moore faces allegations of sexually assaulting teenagers, and he just received a presidential endorsement. As I said, we find the allegations very troubling. And again, this is up to the people of Alabama to make that decision. I'm not a voter in Alabama and can't make that decision. If Roy Moore wins that race, I'll say it again. Let's see how long that lasts now. 
Now to another historic moment in U.S. political history. A president's son being called up to Congress to face questioning in the midst of, an, of a historic investigation. Donald Trump Jr. sitting down today with the members of the House Intelligence Committee. It is the first time that the president's son has been questioned by lawmakers. And his appearance comes just as a new report services that he asked a Russian lawyer in that infamous 2016 Trump Tower meeting if she had any evidence of illegal donations to the Clinton Foundation. Listen. This committee has interviewed uh, several of the key players who were, who were in uh, that June 2016 Trump Tower meeting in which Donald Trump Jr. of course was promised dirt on the Clinton campaign. One thing they're trying to figure out is whether or not all these stories line up, whether or not there's any questions or holes uh, in, these, uh, in, in the different accounts, uh, as well as whether or not Donald Trump Jr. had continuing communications with Russians after that meeting. And one Democrat on that committee says her questions go well beyond that. The emails and texts and direct messages with WikiLeaks will be a um, hot topic this morning, as will the company, the Trump Organization, and the inordinate number of Russians who have either purchased interests or condominiums and the extent to which those individuals have criminal backgrounds. Add to that, Senate Democrats are now voicing louder and louder calls to subpoena that same president's son to come answer their questions as well. So, best advice, find a comfortable seat, Don Jr. It could be a while. As I said, history being made and it's only Wednesday. Anyone want to guess what tomorrow could bring? Let's not even attempt to get ahead of ourselves right now. We've got enough to deal with today. Let's get, with that, let's get back over to the White House and President Trump's monumental announcement on Israel. Jeremy Diamond is standing by with much more on that. So, Jeremy, he promised it, he followed through, but not a lot of detail on what this all means now. What are you hearing? That's right. Well, the president making clear today that he is delivering on this key campaign promise that he made uh, during his presidential campaign. But it will take several years, according to senior administration officials, for a new embassy to actually be built in Jerusalem. Uh, that was one of the two key tenets of the president's announcement today. First of all, to move that embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And secondly, to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's uh, capital. And this announcement, of course, yesterday already uh, was drawing a a lot of criticism and condemnation from uh, U.S. allies in the region and beyond who urged the president to reconsider in light of the way that this will impact the peace process uh, and in light of the potential security concerns. Uh, there are likely to be protests throughout uh, the West Bank and Jerusalem and potentially in, uh, throughout other countries uh, in the Middle East. And we are already beginning to see some of the impact of this decision on the peace process. Uh, the Palestinians' chief negotiator, Saeb Erekat, saying that the United States should no longer have a role in negotiating this peace process. So while the president today sought to underscore his message on Jerusalem by saying that the United States remains committed to achieving a lasting peace agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinians, stressing that his recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital doesn't actually change any of the boundaries for a potential peace deal, it's clear already that this uh, announcement by the president, although largely symbolic for the moment, is already having real implications with regards to how this peace process could possibly move forward, Kate? Yeah, and if it impacts the peace process and how it does, it might not be, it's starting to sound like it's not up for Donald Trump to decide how that message is being received that he sent today. Jeremy, thank you so much. A lot more to come on that, including this. Coming up, President Trump has gone where no president, no U.S. president has gone before. But does he know where this is going next? The announcement, the vision, and the impact. The panel is here.
President Trump's historic announcement on Jerusalem, what impact will it have here and around the world? Could progress and on a campaign promise lead to progress on peace? The panel tonight, Mike Morey is here, former communications director for Senator Chuck Schumer. Scott Jennings is here, CNN political commentator and former special assistant to President George W. Bush. Andre Bowers, a CNN political commentator and former lieutenant governor of the great state of South Carolina. And Caitlin Huey Burns is a national political reporter for Real Clear Politics. All, thank you so much for being here. Let's get to it. Scott, this announcement from the president, it does what? Well, it does uh, what presidents have done for the last 20 years. I mean, it is sort of doing exactly what the Republicans and Democrats have done. It's doing what people in both parties have said they would do when they ran for president. This position has been in the Democratic Party platform for the last four platforms. I don't know what the big controversy is. Frankly, this is a widely held position by people in both parties. But why didn't, if, if, everyone, if everyone ran on it, promised it, and didn't do it, there was a reason. Yeah, well, and, and he's signing a waiver, as I understand it, and so, which is exactly what these other presidents have done. So I think what he's trying to do is signal, though, that the days of the United States making promises and not keeping them are over. And he wants to tell his base uh, that I ran on this, I made strident promises on it, and I haven't forgotten about it. Well, you know, the interesting thing is when it comes to something like this, though, your base is not what's most important. National security is most important. Your international relationships. Well, maybe not. Clearly not. I mean, when you've got the prime minister of Great Britain, you've got his buddy and pal, Boris Johnson, over there. You've got the Chinese. You've got almost the, every nation in the Middle East. When you have the Chinese, the, the pope, all coming out and saying this is a, a short-sighted decision. Uh, this is possibly a reckless decision. This could incite some kind of violence uh, in the Middle East. I think it actually shows that the president does not take his job seriously in respect to what he is required to do as the president of both this country, the security of the nation, its people around the world, and as an honest broker for Middle East peace. I think you, the, other pers- the other part of this is I think it shows a total and utter lack of confidence in his son-in-law, who was supposed to be negotiating a peace agreement over there, and this is reckless and undermines that entire process. He did say in his speech that there's been no progress made, so he is acknowledging that no progress has been made since since Jared Kushner and Greenblatt have been working on it. One line, there were many, but one line in his speech, old challenges demand new approaches. Absolutely. But what is the new approach? Well, hopefully the new approach is he will do something that presidents haven't done. Why why wasn't it part of an announcement today? A big announcement on a vision, a different vision forward. I see that in a statement that came up from John McCain. John McCain says, absolutely, this is the capital of Israel and should be recognized as such. Embassy should be moved. But this announcement should only be made in conjunction right, with right. a plan, right. a different plan or something. Why well, and, and I think he's laying the groundwork that he's going to deliver what so many politicians have said they were going to do, and he's going to do it. But why not announce it today? I what? wish he would have. Okay. Um, Caitlin, one of the things that I was... I don't know if I'm struggling with it, but help me, because clearly I'm struggling at all times. Um, He makes this announcement, to to Scott's point, he makes this announcement, but he's also signing the waiver. So I'm of two minds. It's historic, and it can have massive ramifications, Mm -hmm. but it's also a pronouncement with Mm -hmm. a little half step, not a lot of follow through. I mean, I feel Mm -hmm. like we saw this with... The Iran deal. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to certify that they're in compliance, but we're not going to pull out of the Iran deal. Mm-hmm. 
and some shades of what the, they did with the Paris Climate Accord. What are we mm-hmm. seeing here? Yeah, I was going to bring up those examples, too, because we have seen the president take steps that are monumental, but yet when you look at the details, they're not getting in place just yet. Now, that could kind of protect him from some of the criticisms of this is going to cause a huge uproar in the international community. It is interesting, though, to, to Scott's point, I mean, you haven't heard from Republicans besides John McCain uh, criticizing this, except you, in, in fact, you've heard the opposite. Lots of Republicans. Because they've all run on it themselves. And and he also does have some bipartisan support here in the form of Chuck Schumer, notably. Pelosi, Cuomo, Booker, Uh, Biden. A lot of names people don't know. They're all Democrats. 90 to nothing. 90 to nothing this year. But that's not not the issue. I think, Kate, you hit it on the head. The issue is so much as you don't just make a pronouncement like this and you have no, it's not as part of any sort of peace plan or strategy to move forward. It's no longer to make a pronouncement like this without actually having the contours of any kind of negotiation or peace agreement there is reckless. All it is is playing to your base. It's fine that folks have said that they want Jerusalem to be the capital. I get that. But for the president of the United States, who's supposed to be the negotiator here, the honest broker, to then sort of go out there for the purposes of satisfying a political domestic base. But it's not the base. If everybody, everybody's for it. All the Democrat leaders are for it. So are they satisfying their base as well? there are two key people that were not on board. And this is, this is again, where I get... I get really confused. What have folks said about when it comes to foreign policy and Donald Trump? Republicans, they'll say privately and publicly. They might not like what Donald Trump says, and he might not be so seasoned in it. But what that gives them confidence is the people that Donald Trump has surrounded him with. Best mm-hmm. national security and foreign policy team they've ever seen. Two of those, Mattis and Tillerson, yeah. they're not on board with this, right. Scott. They're, they're advisors. They were not elected. True. The president was elected, and he ran on this. And 90 United States senators just voted for this position. This is not, not a controversial position inside of a, the American political system. Do you think it's this not. is the right time to do it? I think it's always the right time for the President of the United States to signal that we are serious about the promises we make. And to that point, let's bring up another example, Caitlin. Um, this, he's gotten some compliments and a, some criticism. This is like the approach to North Korea. And you heard it again and again in the speech. Mm-hmm. What's been, where, show me the evidence that what we've been doing for the last set, multiple decades has been working, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you, okay. It hasn't been working, so why not try something different? Right, and that certainly has been the White House argument on this and a variety of other issues. They're also facing a deadline, right? You had to sign this waiver because it expires every six. Right, he's still signing it because you have to. (laughs) But, you know, back to to Tillerson and others. You know, Tillerson is in Europe right now, and he's facing face-to-face the opposition from, from allies. And so it does, the timing does put them in a really difficult position here. Um... Which begs the question of why not explain kind of the strategy moving forward? This is far from over. Believe me. They have to draw up architectural drawings first. Yeah, it'll take four years. Move it. Yeah, but guess what? If they really wanted to, they could move the, they could move the, put a sign up on the consulate well, today. It's not secure. I mean, they Details could, like, they oh, could, it's not secure. It's not, you couldn't it's just change enough. the sign. That's what Mark Dindig <laughs> told me. He knows something, a little something about Israel. All right, coming up. Democratic senators coming together, not around any piece of legislation, not to anyone's defense but to call on one of their own to resign. What happened? What changed? And who has the moral high ground now? We'll be right back. To all of you, I just want to again say I am sorry. I know there are no magic words that I can say, 
to regain your trust, and I know that's going to take time. I'm ready to start that process, and it starts with going back to work today. That was Senator Al Franken, Democratic Senator Al Franken, just last week saying that he's going back to work amid allegations of sexual harassment, inappropriate groping, and forcible kissing in the past. Today, there's now a growing list of Democratic senators calling for him to step aside as those allegations grow as well. Let's get back to it. Um, Mike, what just happened today? I think you saw the women of the Senate take control of the institution. Uh, I think the women on the Democratic side of the aisle had decided that, you know, this is not going to be tolerated in our party. Uh, and if the men are not going to stand up and say something and do something about it, they're going to. Um, I think that is what prompted then their colleagues, their male colleagues on both sides of the aisle to then get the nerve to actually say the same thing. Um, look, I think it's both a sad day and a powerful day. Um, on the same day in which you know, Time Magazine names its person mm-hmm. of the year, um, you which have... The, the women who broke the silence. The women who broke the silence. You have the women of the Senate on the Democratic side um, taking out one of their own. Um, previously, the day before, John Conyers uh, steps down from the House after originally some reluctance, but eventually some pressure um, from Nancy Pelosi and other folks in the institution. I Look, I'd like to see the Republican women do the same thing within their own House, clean that House up as well, because if they look right down the street and, uh, on Pennsylvania Avenue, there might be another person they should be pushing out. With all of this, I mean, I wonder, really, what changed? Because the first allegation to come out against uh, Al Franken was mm-hmm. in, uh, in November, like November 16th. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another allegation that came out today um, is that what it was, or is it just... Yeah, I, I asked just... Or is it something, Senate, can I be a little cynical right now? Is it something a little more political, that they really yeah. wanted to have the moral high ground? Right, so I asked a, an aide about this Don't this morning, me, and, and uh, this aide was telling me that first, uh, the story today was kind of the pinnacle of all of this, okay. right? And that the, the Democratic women have been meeting for several days now to figure out how to chart a path forward as it pertains to Franken, yeah. and so they arrived at this conclusion today. However, uh, I think we have to also talk about the political implications of this. Um, Of course, that Alabama Senate race is next Tuesday. Um, Democrats have been battling this narrative of, okay, we have Roy Moore, but you have Al Franken. Uh Um, Again, the the charges are are not the same there, which I think is worth pointing out. Uh, So I think Democrats are now trying to reclaim this moral high ground, or trying to claim a moral high ground on this, and it will put uh, some pressure on Republicans uh, to it absolutely does. Do it absolutely does. More. If Roy, this seems to, and, and maybe that's the point. I don't know, but this seems to help the least. Roy Moore, if he now makes it to the Senate, Scott, how does he stay? Well, what's going to happen to Roy Moore if he makes it to Washington, which I don't believe is a foregone conclusion. God bless anybody you trying to pull this race. man on an island for the people I'm talking <laughs> Look, to, it seems. Well, I, I, I grant everybody thinks he's going to win, and he might, yeah. but I think trying to get a, a legit sample for a poll in this race is really you're totally difficult. Right. You're totally right. That having been said, this should be a 25-point Republican win. It's a single-digit race. Maybe Alabama's the only place in America you could survive a candidacy like this. But if he gets to the U.S. Senate, Mitch McConnell's been very clear. The leader says he's going to go to the Senate Ethics Committee and have trouble. And frankly, for the women in Alabama who have accused Roy Moore, this may be the only due process they ever get. And they deserve it. So let's put them all under oath and see what the Ethics Committee comes up with. I think that's how Republicans are going to move forward on more if he wins. You think they even, do you think they even, I mean, he's not going to, he's not going to bend to pressure from Republican senators. That's right. I think what's the difference between Franken and Moore, Democrats calling on him to resign, 
Franken succumbed to the pressure. Yeah. Moore has had to be forcibly removed from a political office <laughs> twice. twice in yeah, his life, so he won't succumb to the same pressure. Where does this go? Give me your final thought. Uh, Moore doesn't back down. I mean, he keeps swinging. He probably does get elected, as you said, and he will face a difficult time within his own party, and the party's going to have to deal with it. Look, the Democrats got the upper hand here today and yesterday. They, they made a, pulled a good political maneuver, and they took the high ground. And this is why the president's endorsement of more matters, uh, because... You took exactly the words out of my mouth. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm loving it, because exactly the president's endorsement now becomes so troubling. Exactly. Because he not only has allegations against him, we're not going to get into that today, but he endorsed Roy Moore. He's not just saying, let Alabama decide. Right. He's saying, I'm telling you who right. Alabama should decide to send. Okay, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Thank you all. This is day 321 of President Trump's administration. That's the state of America tonight. We'll see you back here tomorrow.